and good to see you guys. So uh, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be there today. So we started a new series a few weeks ago now, and um, it's hard to believe it's like late October, because I know it feels like it's still July around here, um, but it's late October. So um, about two months ago, we started in the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's, it's really Jesus' most famous sermon that I think he probably ever preached, and um, I think whenever we read the Bible, it's helpful to get a really big, overarching understanding of what's going on before we dive down into the details of the text. And so the message we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount is real simple. It's basically a message of repentance and a message of surrender. And Jesus is inviting um, these people to move from just being part of the crowd to being a disciple of his, a true follower of his. So it's really a message about repentance and surrender. And it's answering the big question, what does it look like to follow Jesus? That's really the issue being addressed throughout the entire sermon. I think a lot of us think of following Jesus as just an idea, like a good idea. And, but if we're following him, it's going to impact your everyday life, like how you're living out your everyday life and not just be an idea. So Jesus shows us in the sermon how that all that gets worked out. So Matthew 6, if you're going to divide up Matthew 6 into two sections, it might look like this next, this slide here. Uh, Matthew 6, 1 to 18, Dagan talked about that, that last week. 6, 1 to 18 describes a Christian's private life. So he, his sermon was called Secret Righteousness. So the things that Jesus is saying, don't do these before men, but do these things in private. Giving, praying, fasting. Don't do these things to, be sh- to show off in front of people. And then today's section... The second section we're going to look at really describes a Christian's public life. And this deals with things like, you know, money, possessions, ambition. And this is really kind of how you can break it down um, into two different sections. So it's really common to hear um, this kind of message in the church. Don't be like the world. You've heard that a ton of different times in the church, right? In different messages. In various forms, you've heard that message. Don't be like the world. But in the first half of this, um, of this chapter, chapter 6, he's really saying, don't be like the religious people. Which sounds strange, right? Like, you don't hear that message that much in the church, do you? You hear messages like, you know, don't be like the world out there. But in the first half of this chapter, verses 1 to 18... He's really saying, don't be like the religious people. Don't be like the religious hypocrites, the ones who go and try to show off, and the ones who do these things in public so they can be seen by men. So if you've ever said, if you've ever ever heard someone say, or you yourself have said something like, I don't like the church because it's full of hypocrites. So I'll remind you of this. If you've ever said, I don't like the church because it's full of hypocrites, Jesus actually agrees with you that hypocrisy is a bad thing. So before you go rejecting the whole thing and say, I can't buy all that garbage, they're full of hypocrites down at the church. Well, Jesus would say, yes, that's a problem. And if you read my Sermon on the Mount, I address that problem in that sermon and so you can't just throw out the whole thing and throw out Jesus and say, I can't buy into that because 
I don't like hypocrisy. Well, neither does Jesus. You actually agree with Jesus. He didn't like hypocrisy either. And he spoke out against it all the time. So let's start at least with that, that if if you're a skeptic or an unbeliever here, and you don't like hypocrisy, which many would say they don't, the starting point needs to be you already agree with Jesus about something. Let's just start there. Let's start there. And so that's really the first half of chapter 6. And uh, the second half of chapter 6, so if the first half, if he's, if he's addressing don't be like the religious hypocrites, um, the second half he's really talking about like don't, but also don't be like the unbelievers out there in the world. So he's saying there's two kinds of people we don't want you to be like. And don't be like the unbeliever who's consumed with, like, money and possessions and selfish ambition. And so the Christian's called to be different in two different ways. Different than the religious hypocrite and different than the unbeliever. And so today's about the second kind of person that we're supposed to be different than. So look at Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 19. And he's really talking about two different kinds of treasures here. Matthew six nineteen, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, how many of you all have had something stolen from you? Raise your hand. Raise it high. Okay, a number of you. So anyone care to share something that was stolen? What, what, what was stolen from you? Did someone just shout out what was stolen? Money? AirPods? I could have told you that. <laughs> Let's see, little tiny expensive things. That's an easy steal. All right, what else? Someone else? That's it? Just money and your phone, your wallet? What, what are you doing sitting over there? There's someone sleeping on the couch. Hey, can you come out of there and go sit down at the table, please? Come on, come on, let's go. This is not time for a nap. I know you had gravy. Come on. All right, so um, we've got all kinds of things, right? Like wallet, money, it, you know, your earbuds or whatever. Um, anything else? How did it make you feel when someone stole something from you? Okay, feel bad. Like what? What emotion? Anger, right? That's the most common emotion, I would think, anger. Um, I think I told you this a while back, but um, as pastors, we tend to repeat stories because they're relevant all the time, so I'll tell you this part of the story again. But I think I told you a few weeks ago that um, several years ago, my wife's diamond engagement ring got stolen from our house. And the way it happened was I invited a couple guys into our house to do some electrical work, and I guess she'd gone to the gym, and so she put her ring in the, in the ring box on the, on the, in the, in the uh, master bedroom. And the, fi- the fan the guy's trying to fix is in the master bedroom. So he's down there working. I'm in the kitchen doing some work. I'm not thinking about it. She doesn't have a ring on her fingers. And uh, so they, they do the work. I pay them the money, and then they leave. And she comes back home, and I'm down here at the church, and she's like, Dave, my ring is gone. And we know, of course who stole the ring. It was a dude in there fixing the ceiling fan. It had to be him. There's no one else that could have taken it. And so we set up this crazy sting operation where I call the cops and um, I got them involved. 
I told him what I think may have happened. And then I get the guy, the owner of the company, to come back to the house under the idea that something's not working properly. And so they come back to the house, and the cops are waiting for them at the house. And I'm like, that's right. That's right. And so I'm just, like, staring these guys down as they, like, search the hole. But have you ever tried to find a diamond ring inside the truck of an electrician? It's not, the chances are not good. Like, you you just look at the truck and you go, it could be, like, right in front of us, and we still couldn't see it, because there's this junk everywhere, right? And so, I know that this guy took the ring. I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt, but we can't find it, and we can't prove it. So, those guys, they didn't find it. Those guys left, and of course, I had insurance, so insurance bought a new one, but it wasn't the one that I gave her. And man, I'll tell you something, I was livid. I was angry. I was so angry. I had anger in me that I didn't know existed. And I'm not kidding you. I was, that was the most valuable thing, not just sentimental, but expensive. Like, my TV's not worth $5,000, that's the most expensive thing that I have in my house. And it's the most sentimental thing in my house. And this person just came into my house and took it. And so you can imagine the anger. I mean, this, this, this angered me. And it did some other things in me, too. Like, it, as I'd read the paper the next couple of days, I would see other crimes in our city. And I would just have this anger come out in me at people who commit those kinds of crimes that I never really thought in a personal way before. But it also showed me how nothing is permanent. How I saved up for literally several months or even a couple of years to purchase this ring for my wife. And we had this big moment of the engagement. I put it on her finger and then we have the wedding later on. And it's a sentimental thing. And I realize as valuable as this thing is to me and to her, nothing in this world is permanent. And so it also shifted how I viewed possessions in that moment. I wasn't just angry, but I started to realize, like, man, like, that, that, ha- that was, like, the easiest steal that guy probably has ever had. He's in there, like, fixing a fan. He's like, hey, what's this over here? Puts it in his pocket. Right? Probably the easiest st- stealing he's ever done in his life. And so nothing, it showed me how nothing in this world is really permanent, And so back in that day, you can imagine how hard it was to protect valuables back in the ancient days, right? So, um, like, we have banks, we have safes, we have door locks, but back then, all a thief had to do was just dig through your mud walls, and they could take whatever they wanted. They didn't have any way to keep things safe back then. And so, so nothing's permanent. Possessions aren't permanent. What about where it says... Moth and rust, what is that about? So back then, wealth was displayed in metals and cloth. And people didn't have a lot of clothes, unless they're wealthy. So what's the deal with, with moths? Now you guys, I doubt you guys like lay awake at night worrying about like killer moths eating your clothes. Right? You don't worry about that. Like killer moths, that's like a, a, a bad horror movie, right? 
So we're not worried about this today because clothes are different today. Clothes are not made from the same stuff. Back then, clothing was made from animal fibers like silk, wool, cashmere, furs. So these certain kinds of moths would, would lay... This gets gross. I'm sorry. I know you just ate gravy, but... Um, Certain moths would lay eggs in clothing, okay? And the larvae would, like, eat the animal fibers until they become fully grown. Does that sound gross to you guys? It should sound gross. If it doesn't, then you're weird. Um, but when my, when my grandmother, my grandmother had this big farmhouse, and in the upstairs um, attic or upstairs portion of the house, there was this uh, big trunk at the foot of the bed, and... The trunk always smelled really funny, and we couldn't figure out why. And my cousin and I would, like, lift it up and be like, oh, that's the worst smell I've ever smelled. Let's smell it again. And we would just keep smelling this smell, and it was the smell of mothballs. And because what they would do is they would take, they would take these, like, little chemical things, pellets, and they'd put them in trunks like that or in closets, and it would keep the moths away from, because older clothes kind of had those animal fibers, like, which is different than what you have today. And moths might come in and start eating the clothes, literally. So back then, in my grandmother's day, I mean, you couldn't wear the clothes because they smelled like crazy. But at least you had your clothes. And no moths were eating your clothes. So that's what it's talking about. So there's, there's the danger of, once again, you realize like how nothing is permanent. Like you, you are not your possessions. Your possessions can't become your identity. So... So here's the deal. Jesus is not condemning money or clothes. I mean, thank God for clothes, right? He's condemning the love of these kinds of things. And so in, in what ways are you and I tempted to store up treasures on earth? Now, this may not be material, but it might be. Some of you might be on the, on the, the pathway already. I know you're, you're students. You don't personally have a lot of wealth. Your family might. But you might be on this trajectory already in your mind where you've got a really successful mom and dad and you're like, the thing you live for is your GPA and your test scores so that you can be on this trajectory of I'm going to get into this school and I'm going to make it to this level um, academically and then so that I can fill in the blank. What is that thing you're after? Is it material? Is it about possessions? And so Jesus is saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, and nothing in this world is permanent. And this doesn't mean that you don't plan for stuff. So the, the flip side of this does not mean like, well, nothing's permanent, so I'm just going to like fake my way through life, and I'm just going to figure it out, not going to save any money. Like that's not what it's saying, because there are other verses that counteract that, being lazy, but he's saying that you don't, you don't put your emphasis and focus on treasures that will not last and treasures that will, will not be of eternal value. So what is the, what will last? Well, the first thing I think about is discipleship. I think of how much emphasis does your life do you put on your own discipleship and the discipleship of other people? Listen, I have this statement. When I first came on staff at this church, 
they were like, you've got to, I was like 26 or 27. They go, you need to go meet with the retirement guy. I'm like, I just got here. They're like, no, 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 the guy that, you know, handles like the retirement funds. So if you put in this amount every, every month, the church will match that. And I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds cool. And so they set up a retirement fund so you can start saving for retirement when you're like 26 or 27 years old. And so I go meet with that person, and, and then I start getting statements in the mail that say like, oh, here's your retirement fund. Here's how much you have in the retirement fund. And you can kind of see the little, the little graph go like this, go up on the little page, and you realize like, oh, you start to feel like, oh, man, like it's, it's starting to grow, you know? And, and so you have that like staring at you every few weeks when they send this thing to you in the mail. But here's the reality. All that could be gone like that, Right? And you, and you start to think about, like, investing. And people talk about, you know, making a safe financial investment. And that's, that's good. That's wise. But do you know the safest investment you can make in this world is to invest in the lives of other people, to invest in your own discipleship and discipling other people? Like, the leaders that are in this room right now, like, beyond any kind of retirement fund they might have, you know, the safest investment they're making right now is to invest in the lives of the students in this room. That's the safest investment any of us could ever make is to lay up for ourselves treasures that are somewhere else, not here, and not become consumed with our possessions. I love the last statement of this verse. You can rephrase it like this. Whatever you treasure will control your life. Whatever you and I treasure is going to control us eventually. Let's look down at verse 22. Two visions now. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? All right, this is a little confusing, so we're going to unpack this for a bit. It looks like he's changing the subject, doesn't it? It looks like he's talking about, like, heart stuff. And then and, and Jesus says, you know, well, we're talking about the body, the heart, so let's talk about the eyes now. Okay, there, but there's some connection here to these, these passages. These statements are connected, and here's how. So there's two ways that eyes can go wrong. The eye itself might be unhealthy. So I'm not calling anybody out here, but if, listen, if you have contacts, if you wear glasses, whatever that might be, then there's something obviously that's not quite right about the eye itself, right? That's just why many of us have to wear those kinds of things. So that's one thing. But the eye might also, you may have a healthy eye, but the eyes might be looking at the wrong thing. So there's two ways in which the eyes can be unhealthy. Like unhealthy in themselves, but also they might be looking and focused on the wrong thing. So whatever you and I fix our eyes on, that's what we treasure, It's where our heart is. But also, if my eyes aren't healthy, then my vision is distorted. So some people think that Jesus is saying that our eyes are like a window, like letting light into our souls, but he's really saying something different. He's saying everything our body does depends on our ability to see. So just imagine for a moment if you woke up on a Sunday morning and just for that space of time, you had all the lights off and you were just totally dark in the room and you couldn't see a thing and you try to get ready for church, like from start to finish. I mean, some of you guys, I'm kind of questioning that already, but I don't know. But listen, imagine if that happened, like everything your body does 
can only do because you're able to see. And if you couldn't see, then your body couldn't function in the proper way. So this is the connection he's making here. So if we can see clearly, if you can't see clearly, then we operate in darkness. And so as our eye affects our body, our ambition, where we fix our eyes, affects our entire life. So you guys may not know this, but I'll be vulnerable for a moment, I guess. Um, You may have seen me do this, but if I stare at something for a long period of time, my left eye, when I was four years old, I had surgery on my left eye because it was a, I guess, lazy eye what they call it. That's, 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 the, that's the proper medical term, lazy eye, right? And so when I was a kid, my eye would drift. So they, they went in and they do some, I don't even know what they do. I was four. I don't remember it really that, that well. But um, it was kind of traumatic for me as a four-year-old. But they, they cut some muscles and they try to get your eye in alignment. But even now, if I stare at something for a long period of time, and this eye will start to drift up. And you'll be like, What's Dave looking at? I'm like, I'm actually looking at two things, all right? I can multitask. So that's what happens even, even now um, in my older age. But here's the deal. If, if, if my eye gets tired, if I get tired, then my eye starts to drift like that. And the same thing can happen to us spiritually, I think. We get, we get tired, we get apathetic, and our eye, eyes begin to drift. And our eyes are no longer fixed on Christ and his kingdom. But now they're looking at the wrong thing, and they're not focused. And if we're not fixed on the right thing, we'll be headed in the wrong direction. And so he's talking about there's two different kinds of vision here. Then he gets into discussing two different kinds of masters. Look at verse 24. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, we could fill in money with lots of things, right? Not just money, but there's lots. You cannot serve God and fill in the blank. And again, I, wanna, I want you to see how all these statements are really connected to each other. Just as your eyes can't be looking over here and then try to walk in a straight line in a different direction, um, so that might be true of us. You can't be looking towards something else then walk in a straight line towards something else. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example of this. When I was, um, last year, my son is now a sixth grader, so I get invited as a dad to all the junior high things that involve dads and sons. So last year I went to this thing called Man Night, which many of you guys probably did when you were in junior high. And uh, so meet up here on a Saturday night, and if you know Tim Cartwright, um, he loves to make up lots of games that might cause someone to throw up right? Like, Tim likes that kind of stuff. That, that gives Tim lots of pleasure. Like, he loves that. And so, um, so of course, he also knows that, that I'm one of those people that I get, like, super motion sick, like, really easy motion sick. Like, I hate roller coasters. Um, I've tried them, and I just felt like, like someone drugged me up for, like, three days afterwards. I couldn't even, like, function. It was just bad, you know? So, I get real motion sick real easily. But you go to man night, and then one of the games they make you play at man night is a game out here by the volleyball court, and they're like, all right, it's a relay race. Every dad has to take this baseball bat, and they have to put their forehead on it like this, and you got to spin around. I don't even know what the number was because I already was, like, getting nauseated thinking about it. 
and and so you got to spin around, and then um, try to run across the volleyball court straight in a straight line. Okay, this is the game. And do you know what they fed us at man night? Miller's brisket barbecue. And do you know how much like fat is in that meat? And like it just is heavy, you know. And I'm already just like thinking about this game and kind of just going like. You know, like, it's not going well already in my mind. And so, so we, but, you know, it's man night. Like, you have, you can't back down. Like, you have to do it. Or they're going to be like, you're a sissy. You belong at the other night that we don't refer to. So, so I'm like, okay, I'll just do it. I'll just pay the price later, I guess. And so I did this thing. I went around and, like, I think they said, like, go around, like, ten times. I think I went, like, three. I was like, I'm not doing ten. No one's going to notice, you know. So I go around, and I'm not kidding you. Like, I haven't really spun around in forever because, like I said, I get really sick really easily. And I spin around, and I'm trying to go across the volleyball court, like, in a straight line. I'm like, I can see the destination. So, and it's like, but my body, I'm not kidding. Like, I'm, I'm running, trying to make it go as quick as I can. And it's like my body's, like, doing this. And, like, I ended up being clotheslined by the volleyball net. It was, like, the worst scene, right? I think I, like, fell on the ground. I was, like, trying to crawl towards the finish line. But here's the deal, though. When you can't, when you can't see properly, which I definitely could not, like, you can't go straight, right? You can't go in a straight line. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's impossible. And so when, you're, when your vision's distorted, so what Christ is saying here is you can't, I want you to see how the, the I statement's connected to the master statement, all right? So when your vision is distorted, you can't walk in a straight line. So behind these two treasures and two visions, there's also a choice between two masters, which is who are you going to serve? Who are you going to serve? If you try to serve both, you end up serving just one. And it's never the one that you should be serving. So some of you here have rejected Christianity because you think that by doing by following Christ, or, I'm sorry, you think that when you reject Christianity, that you're finding freedom. But do you see what that passage says? Is everyone serves something. Everyone serves someone. Something else will be your master. You're just trading one master for another, and the other one doesn't care about you. So what happens when we try to live seeking the wrong treasure, eyes fixed on the wrong things, trying to serve two masters, what happens is what plays out in verses 25 and beyond, which is a huge problem in our culture today, and it's the problem of anxiety and anxious thoughts. So if you're someone sitting here, which many of you are in this, in this place right now, I don't know what your story involves. You may have some traumas in your life that no one knows about that is causing you severe anxiety. And so I want to say a quick disclaimer right now that if you're someone who is just walking through some really, really tough things and that's led to some, to some severe anxiety in your life and you're maybe going to see someone about that, maybe you're taking some medication for those things, listen, I'm not meaning for these kinds of passages that we're going to read here to be aimed at you in a real direct way this morning, because there are, there are some legitimate things happening in many of us 
and you're seeking help for it. You're struggling through it, okay? So don't read this next part of the passage thinking that, you know, um, just beating yourself up because you're anxious. That's not my goal as I read this. Let's read this, this passage, 25 through 32. This is two preoccupations that we can find ourselves in. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. The Bible talks a lot about anxiety. And I told you about my own struggle with that. I know that many of you in the room, you struggle with anxiety. And it's encouraging that the Bible talks so much about anxious thoughts. Do you remember what Jesus said so often to his disciples when he was, they were in a really sketchy situation? It was, fear not because they're anxious and they're worried. And they're in the presence, like the physical presence of Jesus. And he still has to tell them, like, hey, have no fear. They've seen him do miracles already, and he still has to say, hey, do not fear. So listen, you're in good company if you struggle with this in a real profound way, anxiety and fear and worry. So what is anxiety? It's not the same thing as fear. I would say fear is a little more specific than anxiety. So where my parents live uh, in Virginia, there have been, I've never seen this kind of thing when I was growing up ever, but they live out in the, in like the boondocks, the, where all the rednecks live, okay, in that part of the state. And (laughs) sorry if you're, anyway, I won't offend anybody, but um, that's where they live. And and recently, my mom will call me and say, someone, like a neighbor, saw a bear. And I'm like, what? Like, we don't live that far from, like, like suburban areas and stuff. And I'm like, a bear? Like, I've never heard of a bear being anywhere close to where I'm from. But they are, up, like, up in the mountains, like, far away. But there have been, like, these bear sightings, like, around where my parents live. And... My brother, when I was actually home last summer, we we're coming back from this trip, and I'm in, I'm in a separate car. My brother was driving through this wooded area, and they see a bear, like, out in the road, and he got it on his iPhone, right? This is not like Bigfoot, where it was blurry. It was, like, legit. It was like a real deal bear video. He's like, I saw a bear on the way home. I'm like, what in the world? That's crazy. So if I'm visiting my parents at their house, and I go out into the woods, if I come across a bear in a setting like that, I'm going to have fear, and I'm going to have to change my pants, right? 
But there's no question the source of the fear, right? The source of the fear is right in front of me. So fear is very specific. They usually know what fear is and what's causing the fear. But anxiety is a little bit different. Because sometimes you don't even know what the source is. And for many of us, we just kind of live in this cloud of doubt and anxious thought and worry. And we don't know where it's coming from. You don't have this specific thing in front of you that's like, that's what's causing it. But it's just a lot of things. And you don't know what those things are all the time. And so someone defined anxiety this way. Anxiety is fear in search of a cause. You're just always looking for something. And, and this, is, this is a huge thing in our culture today. Do you know over 40 million Americans would have a clinical diagnosis of anxiety? That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. So anxiety is fear in search of a cause. One of the worst aspects of it is the vagueness of it. And I think many of us struggle with that. Now listen, the things he's talking about that cause anxiety in this passage might not be the things that you and I wrestle with. So he says, don't be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, about your body, what you're going to put on. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I know that in this room that many of you don't struggle with these things particularly. Most of us worry about what we're going to eat what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear, not if. But back then, it was an if. It was like, if I'm going to eat, if I'm going to have things to wear. But there are some people in our city, many in our city, that do struggle with the if. Like, am I going to eat today? Am I going to have clothing to wear? But here's the question for you. It it may not be these things that cause you anxiety, but what would you put in that blank? What are the things of this world that cause anxiety in you and cause you to live anxiously? Here's a couple things I think he wants us to see. And you see it in verse 25. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He tells us to see our lives as more than physical need. Do you realize how much of what you and I do is to feed our physical needs and that's it? Just think through your day or your week. How much of what you and I do is just simply to feed our physical needs and that's it. Whether it be now or even in the future. And he's saying, no, 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 listen. You are so much more than that. Your life is more than just feeding your physical needs and being concerned for your physical needs. He also points to nature, and he says, he says, look how I provide for nature. What's that? What's that called in the Lion King? What do they call that? The circle of, yeah, circle of life, right? You know the song, right? But it's amazing when you think of the, of the world, like how the world works, how God provides for, for nature, how God provides for things. Um, I was going to tell this story in short form because, um, but Courtney was going to be here, but now she's not here. So now I can tell the long form of the story and like really tell the story, right? Can I do that? You guys okay with that? Like she's not in, we can talk, she's not in the room, we can talk about her, okay? She's in the main service with a friend of hers. 
don't tell her I did this, okay? Um, but so Courtney, uh, many of you know Courtney, besides Courtney loving myself and loving our kids, what else does Courtney love? Animals. And Jesus. Yes, someone said Jesus. She loves Jesus. But Courtney loves animals. She loves animals. And so we have at our house, we have, we have a dog. And do you guys know we have a cat? We have a cat. That's Courtney's fault, the cat. Um, but we have a cat and we have a dog. And we feed those, those two animals, right? But we also feed lots of other animals that don't belong to us. And what that looks like is Courtney goes to the store and she buys like huge bags like of bird seed, like massive bags of bird seed. And every morning she goes outside and she puts bird seed out for the squirrels to eat because that's who eats the bird seed is the squirrels. And um, squirrels come from all over the neighborhood. They're like, you know, block party, woohoo! And they like show up our, our house and they eat all the food. And then the, the, the birds really don't get much because it's the squirrels that take over and eat all the bird food, the bird seed, right? And But she also, if you open up her car, she has, I'm not kidding you, she has like a bag of cat food in the car and like cans of like the good stuff, like the good cat food, like the stuff that makes you kind of go like, that looks kind of good actually. I think I want to eat that, right? Like she... She, and she, what she does is there's, like, these stray cats that, like, live outside of where she works, um, the offices that she works in, and, and so she buys, like, this constant supply for these stray cats, and she'll put out a can for the stray cats around her work, and so she feeds, like, she's, like, feeding the whole city, like, animals, right, and whenever I say to her, like, I'm, like, I have to, like, move the cat food off the seat so I can get in the seat of the car sometimes, and, uh, so whenever I, I see that, I'm like, I'm like, I said, Courtney, like, I mean, there's this verse in Matthew where Jesus says that, like, he feeds all the animals. And, and she looks at me, and she's like, yeah, and he's using me to do it. And I'm like, how do you argue against that? Like, I can't argue against that. But here's the deal. Like, it's amazing how, like, the world works. Like, God somehow feeds all these animals and people and how this, this circle kind of goes in this cycle, right? And what he's saying is that there, if, if he does this to, the, to nature, like, how much more does he care for you? And there isn't a need that you have that he doesn't know about. You and I have no need that God doesn't know about. Now, watch this last statement here. We'll close up with verse 33 in a minute. How do we battle anxiety? It's not just by avoiding anxiety. You've got to start moving in a different direction. Look at verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So you put his kingdom, his agenda first, then you watch how he provides for all of your needs. Okay? I want to close with two quotes. I'm not going to explain these. I want you to discuss it in your discussion. I'm not going to tell you everything to believe up here. I want you to figure it out for yourself. Here's the first quote. Here's a different way of saying this passage. C.S. Lewis said, 
put first things first and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose both first and second things. Another way to say that is this next statement. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. So go ahead and do some discussion at your tables for a few moments.